Again, welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year. Start off the new year, hopefully, with um, resolutions and uh, recommitments and uh, a time to reflect on the past year and look forward to the new year. Uh, we were talking with our neighbor uh, yesterday, and he, he and Janae and I all, all three agreed. We hope this coming year is a little better than the last one. Hope we can get some uh, sense of normality back in our lives and uh, look forward to a, a good year ahead. I thought this morning I would um, start us off thinking about some things um, as we move forward into the new year. And I titled the lesson, uh, To Practice What You Preach. You know, we, uh, as Christians, a lot of times get accused of being hypocrites, that we're not living the life that we would tell others to live or, in, or instruct others how to live. Um, so it's important for us to recognize that, and it's important for us to recognize that that can be true. If we're not practicing what we are preaching, um, it's easy, easy to spot. So I thought I would just remind us of a few things uh, this morning. Uh, I've preached lessons similar to this in the past. Uh, hopefully this is a little bit different take on things, but there's some issues that I just thought we should address and, and talk about some more practical things. Um, so hopefully this will be encouraging to you. And so there's basically these five um, areas that I just wanted to speak on this morning. Again, we've, I've had lessons on this in the past, but it's always good to be reminded of some things. So these are some things that came to mind. Attendance, uh, benevolence, uh, financial contribution, um, spreading the gospel, and then really putting God first is kind of a, a catch-all, if you will. Uh, all these things uh, can be handled appropriately if we do put God first in our life. So I wanted to look at these things and talk about this this morning, so I'd encourage you to um, follow along. So let's first start talking about attendance. Um, preachers, uh, Bible class teachers, you know, this is uh, good fodder for uh, lessons and things to talk about because attendance is something that we struggle with um, a lot. Um, being at services, um, and not only physically, not just physically being here, but mentally being here. You know, this is important in understanding that, yes, we need to be here physically. It needs to be a priority in our life to um, attend services regularly. Um, but we need to be mentally here as well. Um, you know, if you're not here engaged in the worship, it's really not doing you any good. Um, under the law of Christ, you know, we come together and we worship, we participate in the worship all together. Um, Peter talks about how we are a, a royal priesthood, that all of us uh, are engaged in the worship to God, not just the priests um, bringing those sacrifices and making those things, uh, those uh, burn incense and those things that go up to God uh, under the law of Moses, we don't have that intermediary, that earthly intermediary anymore. We are the ones that offer worship to God. So if you're not engaged in the worship um, while you're here, um, then your, your worship is in vain. So you need to be uh, here, obviously, and you need to be here mentally uh, as well. And that leads into 
kind of going back into preparing to be at services. So not only you know, do we make the preparations to, uh, to leave on time and to, and to be dressed and ready and all those kind of things, um, but the day before, we need to be careful about our activities there as well. Because if we show up here and we're tired and we're sluggish and we fall asleep, um, then we're missing out. We're not here mentally as we should be. And so the day before, we have to take that into account. Maybe, you know, if you're going to be working in the yard uh, that day, maybe you want to stop a little earlier. Give yourself a little time to rest uh, and, and start preparing your mind for, um, for being at services. Um, we, I've been using Travis all day for an example, so I'll use him again. He started a new job working at Waffle House, and I guess the second day he was there, he worked a 14-hour shift. And then the next day, he worked a 14-hour shift. And he's 17 years old, so he can do those kind of things. Um, but that was Thursday and Friday. And then yesterday, we encouraged him to not do that again. Um, we encouraged him to leave a little earlier so that he could get some rest and so that he could be prepared in being here and that he wouldn't be dog-tired and wouldn't be able to engage in the worship um, mentally as he should. We all need to take that lesson. We all need to, to make those preparations so that we can be here and that we can be engaged and ready to go and, and, and be here mentally so that we can be here to worship our God. There's going to come times where there's interruptions in that, short-term interruptions. Maybe we're sick, uh, maybe we're out of town. Uh, those things can be handled appropriately. Uh, if you're sick and can't be here, it's perfectly understandable and perfectly acceptable. Um, maybe you're out of town, perfectly acceptable uh, there as well. Um, but we need to make the preparations, especially if we're out of town, and we're going to be out of town on, on a Lord's Day, um, it would behoove us to find somewhere to worship uh, if we're going to be away from our home congregation on a Sunday. Kind of, of course, but if you think about that, when you're planning vacations, when you're, um, if you have work that takes you out of town or a job that might uh, take you away or, or traveling, that's something to consider because God expects us uh, to come together on the first day of the week. And when we don't do that, we're not being pleasing to God. So if we're going to do something, a vacation, maybe it's a cruise that takes us uh, away and we're not going to be able to be um, somewhere on the Lord's Day to worship, we really need to think twice about that. Because we are choosing something uh, in this world rather than gathering with the saints on the first day of the week. And we need to be very careful about that because that's not pleasing to God. Long-term interruptions, is, that might be that you take a job or move somewhere where there's not uh, a, a local congregation. Um, and you're putting yourself in a very difficult position because now maybe it's a, a long way to travel. It's real easy to say, well, you know what, it's, it takes me an hour and a half one way to get to services. That's a long way to go. I think I'm just going to sleep in today. Those kind of things need to be taken into account. Or perhaps there's not you know, a, a congregation within driving distance very, uh, take some time to think about where you put yourself physically um, when you make those kind of decisions. And this all comes to uh, what we read in Hebrews chapter 10 about not forsaking the assembly. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, it says, Then let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, 
not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. So the Hebrew letters written somewhere before 70 AD, somewhere around 65 AD or so. Um, so within the 30 years or so that the Lord's church has, has grown, there's already those who have, have the habit of forsaking the assembly. And so the Hebrew writer is having to address that. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some. Some have already gotten into the habit of forsaking the assembly. Um, he says, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what's next there in verse 26, it says, for, that, connects, that word connects back to what he was just talking about, and he's talking about forsaking the assembly. He says, if you go on sinning willfully. So there's willful sinning connected to assembling or forsaking the assembly. So you need to think very hard about um, forsaking the assembly. Again, if you're sick, out of town, understandable. But if you're choosing something over assembling with the saints, the Hebrew writer is letting us know that we are willfully uh, transgressing what God would have us to do. So think very hard about your assembly with the saints. Next area I wanted to talk about is, is benevolence. And I want to, I'm, I'm talking about here um, doing things, our, our actions, and we're going to talk about financial stuff next. But for, for this part of it, think about the actions that we do. Galatians 6 and verse 10, a familiar verse there to us. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially those who are of the household of faith. We have a responsibility to help all people that need help that we come in contact with. Now, we understand that um, God expects us to take care of our family first, um, our brethren second, and then all those after that come third. But we do have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to the brethren first in this instance, especially those who are of household of faith. But we have an, opportunity, we have, uh, an expectation to do good to all men when those opportunities arise. So our benevolence, taking care of those around us, is something that God expects us to engage in. In 1 John 3 and verse 17, John writes, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, John's asking that question. If you've got the means and, and your brother's in need and, you're, and you don't help him, are you displaying the love of God? Think about what the love of God drove him to do. Think about sending his only son. Think about all the things that he has done for us. That is spurred on by God's love for us. We need to reciprocate in showing uh, others love in that way and, and giving to them, helping them, doing what we can. And there's plenty of uh, needy people around. Just open your eyes. You look around, if you really just take a step back, look around, there's lots of people in this world who need help. And so there's opportunities. Sometimes they, they fall right in your lap. Um, sometimes they don't. But when they do fall in your lap, take it for what it is. Take it for God's providence putting that person right in your path. And take that opportunity to help them. It also goes to talking about what our financial side of this is is we need to be in a position where we can help them. Maybe that means you, you tuck a little money back somewhere so that when 
you come in contact with someone that has a need, you have funds available to help them. Or maybe it's just simply giving them a ride somewhere or, or taking them to go shopping or something like that. Whatever that need might be, there's, there's plenty of need around. Just, just open your eyes and be open to it. Financial side of this, um, let's talk about this. Under the law of Moses, um, tithing was the tradition. God asked for a tenth of what the children had to be given back to him. Um, but of course, that doesn't carry over into the law of Christ. We're going to read a verse here in a moment that talks about um, that. And in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, where Paul talks about laying by in store, uh, as you have prospered. So we don't have a, uh, a numerical amount. We don't have a percentage or anything like that that we are instructed to give. We just simply uh, are told as we have prospered. But as we'll read in a moment, there's another um, standard for that. But do you really think a tenth is adequate? Think of the blessings that we have uh, in Christ. Um, think of all the things that we have. We have the benefit of a lot of things that the children of Israel didn't have. Um, and so you think a tenth will carry over? I, I, I would say that you need to think about that and, and let, don't let that be your standard. This needs to be your standard. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, says, Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you want to uh, be prosperous, if you want to uh, be a, a worker in the kingdom, then you need to sow bountifully. You need to, 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 to invest. Uh, if you expect to have a bountiful return, you need to invest bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. This, again, lets us know that we're not uh, compelled under uh, a tenth rule or anything like that. Um, but God loves a cheerful giver. We ought to be happy to write that check out every week or to have that, that money in your suit pocket ready to go uh, when the first day of the week comes around. That ought to be something that, that we're happy to have ready to go. God loves a cheerful giver. And again, if you think about what you're doing, if you're sowing, if you're investing uh, in the kingdom, think about how that investment will, will pay off. If you sow sparingly, if you invest sparingly, then don't expect a big return. On the other hand, if you invest heavily, if you sow bountifully, you can expect that you will harvest bountifully. And this part of it is important too. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And this is why we do lessons uh, on things um, more than once because you pick up on something different the next time. I picked up on this. You may have an abundance for every good deed. You know, I, I talked about having a little money tucked back so that you can um, use that when someone comes in need. Well, if you're doing that, um, then God is going to bless you. You may have an abundance for it. You, you may say, well, I don't have the money for that. Well, if you don't start, if you don't sow that money, then no, you're not going to have it. But if you start sowing that money, if you start investing that, so to speak, God's going to bless you in that because he says he will. 
every good deed. As is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. How do you think God takes care of people in the world? Money doesn't fall down from heaven like the man I used to. He doesn't do that. He uses us. He uses us to spread those things around, to help people, to, to give them financially what they might, when they're in need, and to, to help them um, when they are in need. He uses us to do that. So if we're doing those things to be pleasing to God, he's going to give us the means to be uh, beneficial to other people to, for every good deed. And I believe it. I believe he will. Another passage that um, we looked at not too long ago in Malachi, um, where the prophet there, God speaking through the prophet Malachi, uh, starts there in verse uh, 8 of Malachi 3 with a, that familiar question, that rhetorical question, will a man rob God? And, of course, we know in what's going on there at that period of time, this is the very near the end of um, God's speaking to his children of, of, of Israel in the Old Testament. And they're, they're going through a difficult time where they're trying to, to, to restart temple worship. They're trying to uh, get those traditions back in place of feeding the priests and, and, and all those things and bringing those tithes in. And he says that here, uh, will a man rob God? And he goes on to say, yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? And the answer is, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God is condemning all of them. You're not giving me what you should be giving me. You're robbing me, is what God is telling them. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this. He's telling them, you're lacking, you're holding back, you're not bringing in everything that needs to be brought in. Stop doing that. Stop holding back. And why? He says, test me in this, says the Lord. Um, if, not, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings until it overflows. Paul echoes that when we just read over there about giving us everything that we need for, to supply ourselves and those around us. He's going to give us that. And if we do what he asks us to do, God says, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out my blessings upon you. So take that into account when we talk, start talking about your giving, what you give on the first day of the week to, to the local congregation here. Are you sowing bountifully or are you sowing sparingly? Is that money that you're putting in the offering plate, is that uh, a sacrifice for you? Or is that uh, the leftovers? Is that just um, what you have at the end of the week that you haven't spent? Think about it. Think about what the blessings that God has for us and how he's so blessed us and what he expects in return. Sow sparingly and reap sparingly, or you can sow bountifully and reap bountifully. Spreading the gospel. In uh, Mark 16, verse 15, this Mark's uh, recording of what we deem the Great Commission, where Jesus is commissioning his apostles to, to go forth and to begin preaching the, the word of God, begin preaching the gospel. He says, 
in Mark's accounting there, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Um, again, good to revisit these things and think about it. That word creation popped out to me this time. Because, you know, we, we, we sometimes couch the Great Commission and, and, and freeze it in time and say that it, you know, that's it. That was, that was a special kind of um, commission. And it, in, in a way it was because of, the, of who is being commissioned. But in that commission there is, a, is an ongoing to make disciples of all nations and to teach them what Jesus had taught them. So there's a, there's a recurrence, there's an ongoing component of that. And that's summed up in that word creation. You know, teach the gospel to all creation. Well, there's creation all the time. There are people that are being created all the time. There are generations yet born that need to hear the gospel. There's generations, young generations among us right now. There's lost generations among us right now that haven't heard the gospel. So as long as the world is going, there's always going to be new ears to hear that gospel message. So there's the recurring part of that. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just, okay, the, the, the gospel has gone forth, or the letters have been uh, collected here, the, the word of God is complete, we have a Bible. Okay, let's, let's stop there. No. New people are being created all the time. There's new ears to hear. There's people that are are out there that need to hear the gospel. And how is it that they're going to be able to hear uh, what isn't being said? You know, we have lots of people in our little sphere that aren't Christians, aren't a member of the Lord's Church. Uh, are we talking to them about the gospel? If we're not, they're not going to hear it. Um, you know, we talk often about our, our culture slipping further and further away from God, you know, slipping further and further away from some of our founding principles uh, as a country. And so what used we take for granted that we might pick up uh, out in the world, those opportunities are getting fewer and fewer as we drift further and further away from God. But we're still here. We're still... Uh, trying to be pleasing to God. We still know what the gospel message is. So we need to be spreading that word. And if you're not, then the people of the world are, are not hearing the gospel message. And, and you can look around and see that that is the case. The, the numbers of church attendance are sliding. Uh, our culture is moving further and further away from um, godly principles. And so... Um, we need to make sure that we're doing our part in spreading the gospel. And this from uh, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, where he talks about, about doing this, about always being ready to make a different, uh, defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that lies within you. you know, we ought to have that ready to go. You know, we have those brief encounters with people. We need to have that 10-second you know, conversation ready to go about... Um, what a wonderful day this is and the, the day that the Lord has blessed us with and, and we're blessed in, in, in Jesus Christ and, and the good news about him. Being ready to tell people about you know, what drives you, what's your focus, what um, is motivating in your life. Why do you live the life that you do? You need to be ready to go, uh, ready to tell other people about that. 
And also think about time frame when it comes to this. Uh, how long? Um, how long are, are we going to have to do this? When Isaiah is commissioned there in um, Isaiah 6, when the Lord um, is looking for someone to go and, and, and prophesy, and, and Isaiah says, you know, to send me. And he tells them, you're going to go out, you're going to tell people things, um, they're not going to listen to you, they're not going to believe you, um, but you still got to go out and do it. So Isaiah asked that question that probably all of us would ask, Lord, how long? How long do I have to do this? And the Lord tells him there that, you know, until the, the cities are devastated, until the houses are without people, until the land is utterly desolate. Now, you know, that's in, to the immediate audience there. That's the prophet telling God's children to repent before it's too late. And, of course, God knows that they're not going to, as, as, as the nation of Israel, as the nation of Judah. They're not going to, but there's going to come a time when God's judgment is going to come. And that's the, that's the answer there until the, the, the desolation comes. How long? Until God comes in judgment. And that applies to us too, doesn't it? How long are we uh, here to, or how long do we have to keep preaching the, the, the gospel message? Well, we have to keep preaching it until the Lord comes in judgment. Because that's what has been set in motion. And that's what God expects of us. That we... Um, Keep going. Uh, the people aren't going to hear. They're not going to listen. Um, but it's still our charge to be out there and spreading the gospel. And as I mentioned, you know, the, really this this is the kind of the the catch-all for this is is putting God first. If if we're if we're putting God first, these other things will kind of fall into place. But it's good for us to talk about uh, the idea of putting God first as well on its own. I wanted to, to, to mention this. Uh, a lot of you probably heard this term, uh, situational ethics. Um, this kind of came up in my thinking as putting this together. Situational ethics, uh, just some definitions here that you just look up online. Uh, the position that moral decision-making is contextual or dependent upon a set of circumstances. Another definition takes into account the particular context of an act when evaluate, evaluating it ethically, rather than judging it only according to absolute moral standards. This has kind of come around not too distant past, um, this philosophy about um, decision making and how the, the situation affects uh, your ethics, affects your morality. So in other words, you know, who do you save from a burning building? Uh, you know, a, a 10-month-old baby or a 70-year-old woman, you know, those kind of things where people pose these questions and you try to come up with the answer based on the situation that, that, that is given. And I will tell you that there's some, there's some real danger in that because, you know, your interpretation of the situation, the decisions that you make, the circumstances will differ from someone else's. And so now we have all these varied different philosophies and responses, and that opens the door to um, kind of autonomous living, where you just say, I'm just going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to, the, the, the common uh, of the day is I'm going to live my truth, 
uh, that's kind of where this comes from, is the idea of the situations in my life dictate my morality. They dictate my ethics. And I can tell you that um, God's standards are absolute, and they are not situational. Because if we don't have a standard, if we don't have something that we can fall back on and, and use in our own life, then, then we are going to be adrift. We are going to just let the situation of the day dictate what it is that we do and the decisions that we make. And I'm not talking about small decisions, like what we're going to have for breakfast or you know, what I'm going to wear that day. I'm talking about big ethical, moral decisions that need to be made. If we don't have a standard for that, then then we'll just do whatever uh, the situation dictates. So God's standards are absolute, not situational. Therefore, we need to act accordingly. We've had a discussion in our house recently about, you know, money and an abundance of money. If there was an opportunity for you to, to have an abundance of money, but it meant that you had to miss services on a Sunday or you had to be, be, be drawn away from the church for a while, then... Would you do it? That's what we're talking about, situational. You'd have enough money to, to, to feed your family for the rest of your life. You would never have to worry about it. Uh, you could feed other people. You could give money away. But it meant you had to compromise uh, your ethics, and you had to compromise God's standard. Well, it's very enticing to say, oh, sure, I can do that. I'll just do this, and, and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. And I'll, I'll engage in that because look oh, the big picture here, the circumstances that dictate that I can be better off later on down the road. You know, our Lord says something about that. You know, you fool. You know, what if your life is, is taken from you tonight? That cuts to the heart of what we're talking about here. We ought not to be so uh, blind and short-sighted to think that well, I can just do this, and, and it'll be fine. I'll just compromise my morals here a little bit and then get back on track. God's standards are absolute, and they're not situational. And we ought to take comfort in that. That ought not to be something that we're trying to get around. We're trying to find a loophole in God's law. No. It's something that we, ought, that we can hang our hat on for the reasons that we talked about previously, about God supplying us if we're... If we're a good worker in the kingdom, we're sowing bountifully, he's going to bless us. There's no need for us to compromise our morality. And in fact, um, if you live a life and, and try to live a life pleasing to God, I am living proof that he will bless you. Not holding myself up as any kind of role model or anything like that, but I have tried to live my life being pleasing to God, and he has blessed me for it abundantly. And so I believe in this. And I believe that if you sow bountifully, that you will indeed reap bountifully. So put God first. We have some passages that help us to understand that. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Did you hear that? Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't let the situation dictate what's going to happen. Trust in God. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You either believe that or you don't. 
if you don't believe it, then you're willing to, to compromise and to, to give a little here and then get back on track. Lean on the Lord. Trust in Him. He's going to make your path straight. In Matthew 13, verse 44, as, King, uh, as Jesus teaches this, this little parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. What's the kingdom worth to you? It ought to be worth everything you have. It ought to be worth everything material that you have in this world. That's what the kingdom, that and more, is what the kingdom is worth. But at least you should be ready to give everything you have for the kingdom. That's what the parable is talking about there. The man found the treasure, and then he sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field and, and reap that treasure. That's what the kingdom ought to mean to us. We ought to be willing to give everything that we have um, so that we could be uh, part of the kingdom. And I will tell you, you'll be blessed for it. If you're uh, dancing around the edges of things and, and, and lacking commitment, God's not going to bless you for that. God's going to bless those who are committed to him and are dedicated and want to be faithful servants to him. Those are the kind of people that God blesses. I want to leave you with this, back where we started. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We started there in Matthew 6, as Jesus is talking about people being anxious, you know, being anxious in their life as to what you eat and what you will wear. And, and he says, you know, isn't the body more than what you put on? Uh, isn't food more than uh, just the things that you put in your stomach? He talks about the birds of the air, that they neither uh, sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? What about being anxious? Can you add any length of time to your life by being anxious? No, actually the opposite is true, right? We take off years for being anxious. Um, verse 30 there in Matthew 6, If God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do for you, O men of little faith? Let's be faithful, and let's Start a new year thinking about these things. Put emphasis on your work in the kingdom. Put emphasis on being here for services, and, and not just physically, but mentally. Engaged in the worship, ready to be here. Think about what you're donating back to the church and how you're helping other people uh, financially and otherwise. Think about uh, you know, what it is that we have to offer to God. And, and putting him first and spreading the gospel with those we come in contact with. Simple things to think about, but now's a good time to recommit yourself as we begin a new year to sowing bountifully so that we can reap bountifully as well.